coming to you live from the moon. I'm Tom Rich, and with me as always are Buzz Aldrin's brood of half-lunarian children, and this is the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Episode 57, The Kevin Slurps at Midnight. Welcome back to the Mildly Alarming Podcast. I'm Johanna Stauffer, and with me is our new co-host, Harry Glanz. What's up, Harry? And also... This guy over here. Hey, how are you? I'm Tom. Rich. Rich is the other part of my name. <laughs> but it's good to be here. It's good to have you back. It's good to have Harry Glanz all up in. <laughs> we, <laughs> we saw a commercial on the television today for a... I don't even know what it was. I, I think it was a mortgage bank. Something like that, yeah. There was a man on the television whose name was, in actuality, Harry Glanz. Which is not a good name it's to have. It's a terrible name. It's a terrible, it's, terrible name. It's about as bad as the unfortunate soul in southeast Michigan somewhere. It might even be in Ohio, actually, now I think about it. But anyway, I hear his commercials. Really unfortunate. Yeah. Who uh, owns an RV dealership and whose name is Tom Raper. Isn't that in Chelsea? Is it that close? No, that's uh, Lloyd Bridges' travel oh, okay. land in Chelsea. Why do I've I know that? that? Why I, do I? Know, why do I have that information? Whatever. Lloyd Bridges t- sounds like a country singer. L- yeah, or a, like a relative of Jeff Bridges, maybe. He could still be a country singer. There's be. no law saying that you can't be a country singer if you're related to Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Actually, you you would be surprised. Did you ever see the episodes of? Uh, it's like the Twilight Zone, but it's not. I have no Outer way. Limits yeah. uh, with, with Bow Bridges when he had a disgusting tiny ponytail. No, that sounds amazing, though. It was, it was gross. It was but real we're bad. A, but we're a podcast of, not about the Bridges brothers, but in, are, right? We didn't change. Well, I oh, I thought we it. had. I thought oh. we were... No? Okay. It's, it's all the Bridges. No, we can, we can do that. We're back to board games, I back guess. Back to board games? Okay. Well, I'm just going to throw out everything I had written up for tonight. But. Well, but not, not really, because the topic for tonight is the, the Bridges brothers, the board game. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Where, you know, you can play as Bo or Jeff or, uh, is there a third one? I don't know. I just threw out all of my research for tonight. Oh, why did you do that? We still need you, it. Because, no, we don't. It's too oh. late. It's all, right. all ruined. Well, it's, okay, well, since we obviously can't talk about the Brid- Bridges Brothers board game, despite the fact that it's amazing, seriously, buy this if you don't already have it, we should probably talk about something else. I don't know. Like, I think the Bridges Brothers board game is a little bit unfair. How so? But, 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 because before the game even begins, when you're choosing characters, you can basically be, like, universally adored, um, talented, and cast in a lot of great movies, or you can be Bo Bridges. I thought Bo Bridges was in, uh, um, what's that movie? Uh, Iron exactly. Man. Isn't he, isn't he the bad guy in the first Iron Man? No, that's Jeff Bridges. That, well, I thought, wasn't Bo the one in, in that movie about the guy with the bathrobe and the slippers and he drinks white Russians all the time? No, that's Jeff Bridges. Well, wasn't Bo Bridges the one that was in the... He was the country singer? That's Lloyd Bridges. (laughs) (laughs) 
Has Bo Bridges even been in movies? Or yeah, yeah, he's like well known enough that you're like, I recognize that guy, and then you don't bother to look him up on IMDb because you don't really care. Okay. He was uh. Wait, is he the guy who at the end of Independence Day flies his fighter plane up into the into the alien spaceship? From no, the but bottom? I don't remember that guy's name either. Oh, Randy Quaid. Yeah, that's Randy Quaid. Yeah, he's someone else's brother. That's not, but he's not Bo Bridges. Nope. Okay. No. Isn't he Dennis Quaid's brother? I believe so. I mean, how many people named Quaid can there be? I I don't think there's a limit on it. Outside of a cheap Tolkien ripoff, in which case there are many, many people named Quaid <laughs> up in there. Let me tell you. It's the first name though, right? It's just, yeah, well, they only have one name. Oh, they're all... It's just, there's just guys named Quaid running about all over the place. Just all over, Quaiding it up. Just, just Quaids everywhere. And, and the peasants are like, oh, crap, here comes another Quaid, damn it. You know what that means, right? We're going to get dragons and trolls and all sorts of problems here. If one of these freaking quades would leave us alone. I actually don't know what you're talking about. I recognize it, but I don't know what it is. I, I'm not talking. I'm just I'm just talking. I'm not making a reference to anything in particular. You're really not? No. Although a, a story where, from the perspective of the peasantry, where there's a bunch of heroes named Quaid running about, but they're not really heroes. They're just wrecking stuff. There is something with it. Now I have to look it up. There's well, You have to look it up because this computer won't handle running the... Uh, the recording software and a browser at the same time for any length of time. But there is something with a main character called Quaid. I don't know. I, I just Googled the word Quaid, and the first re- first response is Sylvan Excalibur Quaid from the Brave Frontier Wiki. I really hope that's not it, because I would be embarrassed to have admitted to the, admitted to the whole internet that I know about whatever that is. <laughs> the, uh... The the dis- part of the description I can read without opening it is one of the sacred guardians of Merith. The reason why Quaid decided to stay behind in Ishgira was because there were still demons present. Oh, that's definitely not it. But Dennis Quaid is the second result for Quaid. Yep, that's amazing. Now I wonder if this is just because of the things that Google knows that you search for. It's like oh, that could be for any other normal person. Dennis Quaid would be the first search result for but, Quaid, but, but for Tom, no man, for Tom, it is Sylvan Excalibur Quaid. He is that is clearly what he's after. I'm gonna click it. Oh, great! I love how how wholeheartedly we have sidetracked this already. That is before even beginning to attempt to reach our content. That is very anime, Sylvan Excalibur Quaid. Good old Sylvan Excalibur Quaid. Apparently he's number 891. His element is earth. His gender is male. His rarity is seven stars. Do all people have an element? Do I have an element? Probably. I I think your element is probably taupe. That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. What would you say um, Gary's element is? I think Gary's element is clearly water. That's what I would have said too. Yeah. Because of the moisture. Right, right. What do you think about Alphonse? What's also the sea turtles. <laughs> what's what's Alphonse? Alphonse's element is either rage <laughs> or apathy. It could, it could be plant. It could be plant. That is true. Yeah. Green plants. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Growing things. You know? Right, yeah. He's like a gardener. What do you think about uh, Devin? What would his, his uh, element be? confusion over why he spends time with us hats i would go oh with. Hats. i would that's go with good hats too. that's mostly. good but uh back to sylvan excalibur quaid because i feel like he's important apparently his bb is 15 armor and 24 little crystal things and his ubb is 24 armor or 20 armor and 25 little crystal things wow yeah okay so uh, he's got 6184 oracle okay you need to stop <laughs> But continuing this sidetrack in a slightly different direction, um, 
our friend Alphonse introduced me to a new subreddit called Piece of Shit <laughs> Book Club. <laughs> Which is just unbelievably bad books. And I, I discovered one of the greatest things I've ever heard of, and I want to try this someday. Maybe we could try it on the air. Um, it's a book, well, a short story, a novella, called The Eye of Argon, written by a 16-year-old in 1970. It's so poorly written. And it, like, the, so I'll just read the description from Reddit. Uh, it's an epic fantasy story written by a 16-year-old in 1970, so bogged down in unmitigated prose and grammar mistakes that people attempt to read the novel aloud at conventions and try not to laugh as a competition. Um, it's amazing. It's so bad. I think we should try it. We don't have to go too long, but like, you know, <laughs> you go tell you till you can't keep a straight sure. face, I'll go till I can't keep a straight face and well done. It's real bad. Eye of Argon, check it out. Piece of shit <laughs> book club on Reddit, check it out. Amazing stuff. Oh, man. But now that we've burned nearly ten minutes on... <laughs> on this discussion of Quaid. Quaid. Did you ever find out what, what Quaid? No, it, Quaid? It, it goes Sylvan Excalibur Quaid, Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid. you just looked for the word Quaid. Quaid. Well, what else would I search? What, what other Qu search? Quaid character. Quaid fantasy novel. Quaid book character. Uh, let's see here. Fictional characters frequently mentioned on the web. None of these are named Quaid. It's, it says Hawk, Reverend Shawmore... Lieutenant Tuck Pendleton, Eddie Bitchin. I don't know what... Oh, these are probably people played by different Quaids. There yeah. was a Douglas Quaid in Apparently. a movie. Apparently. Uh, oh, here we go. Quaid. Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. That'll know. Quaid is an Urdu word meaning leader. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. We'll never know. It, uh, nobody might know that. A doctor might not know that. Oh, Oh, Ur Ursula K. Le Guin, it looks like. Maybe this sounds vaguely familiar. This is the worst podcast on the internet. It doesn't say Quaid anywhere in here. <laughs> Why did this come up? Let's talk about the thing we were going to talk about. What were we going to talk about? What were we going to talk about? The Bridges Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Arkham Horror. Oh, Arkham Horror. That's a good book. I haven't read it. It's, it's not bad. But no, uh, we wanted to talk about Arkham Horror because Arkham Horror is a game that holds a special place in both of our hearts. Probably more of a special place in Johannes's heart because during a tragic um, spearfishing accident, his heart was actually popped out of his chest and replaced with a copy of Arkham Horror. And yet I've still never read it. <laughs> well, how could you? It's inside of your chest. That's not the only copy. I don't see how there could be more than one. That's a fair point. Right. Uh, but we really like Arkham Horror. We enjoyed it a lot. It was one of the first, like, large-scale board games that we got into intensely and played a lot. Uh, to the point where I think there was one week where we played it literally every single night. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I think your wife came and she's like, wow, you guys have been here every night playing that game. Hint, hint, never come back. <laughs> uh, but it's and good. we never have. Nope. That's not true. We're, yeah, you certainly haven't gone back to your own home. <laughs> but, uh... We like Arkham Horror. We like it a lot. And we like it in spite of its flaws. Many, too. many flaws. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about what it is we like about Arkham, what we don't like about Arkham, what is objectively bad about Arkham but that we like anyway, what is objectively good about Arkham but that, what, what, that we dislike anyway, and how I just completely mushmouthed that sentence. Mushmouth is that band. Which band? The one that works at Arby's. No, that's, uh, you're thinking of a sepulcher. Okay. Smash Mouth. Smash that was mouth. the joke. So yeah. um, Arkham Horror is not as universally loved as I think it should be. Um, but as Tom mentioned, and as we've mentioned before on the show, it was our gateway drug to tabletop. 
uh, in a big way. I mean, we were into other stuff before D&D and, and whatnot, but um, that was the thing that got us into board games lately, and uh, it's not really universally loved. I wouldn't say it's universally reviled, but it, I think it's probably got more detractors than protractors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's... <laughs> it, it's it's showing its age a little bit, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah. You know what I mean? When it, when it was released back in whenever that was, it was a pretty, it was one of your major big, mo- lot of moving parts, a lot of stuff, a lot of expansions, just a lot of type of games. Yeah. Um, two, it's gone through several editions. So we're talking about the big old fantasy flight edition that's been out for a time. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's actually pretty old, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, it, what's great about Arkham is just the sheer scope of the thing like it's it's audacious in the number of different systems that it just sort of spackles together and says good luck and then it just lets them sort of grind you into a fine powder and it's like we don't really care if you lose all the time at this or if just ridiculous garbage happens constantly just good luck good luck with that and you're gonna play it play it play the game well, that, that's one of those things I appreciate. So a lot of people don't like too much randomness in games. They don't like a um, randomly occurring, you know, card you draw or bad roll or whatever that can ruin the whole game. And a lot of other people, and I'm sure there's also a lot of crossover in these two groups, but a lot of other people are sick of the Cthulhu mythos and mm-hmm. just Arkham in general. And that I understand, too. Like, I, I, I like zombies, but I'm getting pretty sick of zombies. Mm-hmm. You guys maybe stop... Making so many zombie things. What Let's if they made a zombie else. game in the Cthulhu mythos? With okay, yeah, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't play that. Fair enough. Um, but what, what I like is that within the Lovecraft universe, the idea of you've done everything right so far and still something just ruined you. It makes sense, right? It's it's like th- these are unknowable monstrous otherworldly beings and sometimes stuff just doesn't go your way and all the investigators die and that's the end and you were like oh i felt like we were doing pretty well and you were and you still died because it doesn't matter how well you're doing you're a puny human being Mm -hmm. and the monster you're fighting is the size of a planet or not the size of a planet it just you know sort of mucks with the concept of size or time or space or, or con- whatever or the concept of concept yeah yeah it's weird it's kind of a quantum thing i like it's kind of a quantum thing. i also like uh it, it seems funny to say this if you're coming at it from a i play board games i'd like to get into something a little more in depth arkham is like way far out there maybe in 10 years try arkham but if you're coming at it as as we did from dungeons and dragons and magic the gathering and warhammer um, these big sprawling uh, tabletop games that might take days or weeks or months to play. Um, Arkham had a lot of the has a lot of the the story elements and the character mm-hmm. elements um, that uh, a D and D style game has, but condensed into a box in a game that you can play in one sitting. I'll be at one eight hour sitting sometimes, mm-hmm. but one sitting, right? Uh, and so that that's really attractive. And I think despite all the problems that we'll go over shortly here with <laughs> rule books and errata and things that just break one another, they did a pr- 
pretty admirable job, I think, of getting that much content squished into something that fits in a box and still functions. Well, well, that kind of dovetails into one of the things I really appreciate about Arkham is that it's just it's just unashamedly big. It's just like, yeah, there's like a billion decks of cards and it takes a long time to set up and there's a lot of components and there's just stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff. And you're going to open the box and go, holy crap, what did I buy? And it's just like, yeah, you bought that. You bought all this stuff. Now live with your choice. <laughs> you know, and it's it's just this big maximalist monster. And you feel like if Arkham were designed today, it would be very slim. And it would be trying to get as much onto one component as possible so you don't have to have all that. And that's great. That's good, smart design. But there's something about Arkham's just like, nah, man, just have a different deck for every location. Just do that. Have Why all not? those different cards. Why not do that? And tiny little cards and yeah. slightly bigger cards and extra tokens and dice. And these ones only work with one particular yeah. monster. You might not ever use these components. Sure. The, these, include those. These tokens need to be in every game, but you may only ever see them activate or be used in any <laughs> way once every 10 years. Here is the Dunwich Horror. It is virtually impossible for this thing to get activated, <laughs> but it's there. Here's an entire page of rules on it. So, you know, it's it's, just, it's from a different era of design, I think, and it's yeah. from a different time, and it, it's just great what it does. I adore it. I don't think it could get published as a new game today. Yeah, I mean, they, they republished it kind of as well, right. Eldritch Horror recently, and that's a very different game. Yeah. it's It captures some of the same feel of scope, I think, but not the same feel of mechanical gears grinding you apart as you work your way through them. And that's, that's, that's the other thing with Arkham is that there's just a lot of different systems at work in the game, all pushing and pulling against one another. You want to give it, for, for people who don't know, a quick um, rundown of what uh, the Lovecraftian universe looks like, and then we'll try to do a quick rundown of how Arkham Horror sure. as a game actually functions. Sure. So so H.P. Lovecraft was an author from the early uh, 20th century who wrote uh, the Cthulhu mythos stories. And, and a, a big old of, racist. Yeah. Huge racist. Like, y there's no getting around it. There's no... Inexcusable. Yeah. He's just, just like, yeah, yeah. Really, if you weren't a white person of English descent... And male, probably uh, male. I don't know that he was a big sexist and i don't think he was like misogynist for the time but the time was it's not yeah that's not yeah. saying a whole lot yeah but anyway so that's the caveat here when you're dealing with lovecraft you're probably dealing with racism just out and out although really a lot of the stuff that's been adapted that's been toned down pretty good I think. oh yeah I, I don't think it stands out all that much in, Any, the, in the games or anything but the, if in, you were to go back and read lovecraft you'd be like oh he hated the blacks and the jews and everyone else yeah, it's rough. Um, but anyway, his mythos it based, more or less involved the idea that of, of humanity as completely cosmically insignificant and just sort of brushing up against and encountering these enormously potent entities that are old beyond our ability to comprehend. Like, we can't imagine the number that would be necessary to calculate their age type of thing. And they're weird and they don't think in the way we do and they don't have the same senses we do. And it's just it's just chaos. And then generally his his protagonists encounter them and are driven mad in the process. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of occultism, a lot of weird magics, a lot of scary cults, a lot of just like, like one example is the color out of space where a strange alien shade of color 
It's a hulavu. It's yeah. a super intelligent shade of the color blue. Yeah, or ex- except in this case, it's a sh- super intelligent shade of the color madness. Yeah. Descends out of space on a small New England town and is just like, haha, and everyone's like, oh, now I'm insane. It's always a small New England town. Yeah. He, he, lived- he, he, has, a, he has a Stephen King level obsession with New England. Yeah, pretty much. But that's where he lived. But yeah. But uh, so he, he did that. He wrote all that, and then other people wrote in the Cthulhu Mythos, both while he was alive, he encouraged it. He encouraged people like Robert Howard also, big, big racist, racist, and inventor of Conan the Barbarian, yep. uh, to write in the Mythos. And there were a bunch of other people as well. I don't know them quite so well. And uh, gradually, as his work and their work moved into the public domain, it became rich fodder for role-playing games and tabletop games and all sorts of stuff, which is actually kind of funny because the entire point of the Mythos is that these creatures are uh, completely beyond our understanding and beyond our science and beyond our capability to really interact with productively, let alone comprehend. And uh, role-playing game books are dedicated to making them into numbers so that you can convert them into die rolls and convert <laughs> them into stories that you can use in the system. So Lovecraft to games is such is a very weird pipeline, but it's fun. It's a good time. Well, I think a lot of what people like about it, and even he didn't do this... Obviously, he didn't do this perfectly, but what what Lovecraft did well um, was, I think we've all, I certainly have seen seen the horror movie, read the scary book, seen the scary TV show, where they build up the suspense for what the monster is, what the horror is, and it's so built, e- either they never show it, and it's disappointing, because you're like, oh, well, we just kept building suspense mm. and nothing happened or when they finally show whatever the creature is you're like that was deeply disappointing that could not possibly have lived up to my expectations and what he does is show the monster and make it horrifying but doesn't even try to explain everything about it mm-hmm. because he can't and like the understanding is there that the human mind cannot handle how horrifying this thing is, and the people who saw it would go insane. So he communicates a degree of how how otherworldly and strange it is, and shows you just how otherworldly and strange it is to the point that it drives people mad. And I, I think that's a step further than most people have ever gone, especially in movies. You pretty much have to show the thing. Right. And at this point, the thing is like, okay, that's not, that's not scary. That just looks like a thing that you made on a computer. So I think that's attractive to people who are looking for a truly horrifying monster. Mm-hmm. And so Arkham Horror does as good a job as a board game can do of that by making these things so grossly overpowered sometimes often uh, that that it's just like, oh, uh, well, I guess if nothing bad happened, we'll count that as something good happening. <laughs> Yeah. So Arkham Horror as a game, and there are many games in the Cthulhu. Cthulhu is the most well-known um, of of Lovecraft's monster creature, elder god things that he created. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Cthulhu mythos, there's many, many games out there to, as I said before, the point that people are getting just sick of them. Um, Arkham Horror is really the only one we've played. We played some Eldritch Horror. I think we played it once. Played that once, yeah. Um which, like Tom said, is pretty much a reboot of Arkham Horror, just trying to fix some of the things that are wrong with it. Uh, I, I didn't care for it as much, but uh, Arkham Horror is, like we said, our gateway, our first 
our first love in board games. So, the uh, hell did you do to that Arkham Horror box? Uh, I'm I'm willing to forgive more from it than I would from other games. Uh, but but you're a team of investigators working together. So I already like that cooperative. Uh, working against the game, which is seeking in many, many ways and very effectively to destroy you. Mm-hmm. And you have to collect clues to find out what's going on. You have to fight monsters. You have to, um, every location you end your turn in has events on these cards. So it's very story driven and it's very easy to immerse yourself in the game and to really relate to your character and to the other characters and see what's going on and try to get good things but with the reasonable expectation that only horrible things are going to happen to Mm -hmm. you um and it's a lot of fun we have a ton of fun with it um and what do you think a a typical you know we said eight hours i think that's a over exaggeration maybe Maybe three hours Yeah. yeah um not counting setup yeah, once you get it set up, you're pretty much good to go. But setup does take a considerable chunk of time because mm-hmm. there is a deck of cards for every location and three or four different like item items, magic, common it's, items, magic items, magic yeah, allies, a bunch of little decks. There's also all of the expansions that you bought because you are us. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, we have to have that. We still don't have the one with the white ship, so I can't be captain of the white ship. Deliberately, so that you can't be captain of the white ship. I want to be captain of the white ship. So we think Arkham Horror is great. We like it a lot. And it has grown kind of with us, so there are some downsides to Arkham Horror. Uh, It has a very nice looking rule book. Yes, the rule book is very good Looking. looking. Listen, I don't know if anybody from Fantasy Flight reads this. Listens to. We're talking, not writing. But these are words coming out of our mouths into people's ears. Y'all boys have gotten better at doing rule books over the years. But saying that Arca, if Arkham was your starting point, holy sweet mother of God, did you have a long distance to improve on? <laughs> that was a rough rule book. A lot of yep. errata. A lot of very badly indexed stuff. A lot of stuff that was hard to follow. Basically, there's a lot of stuff that. The, the rule just isn't there or is abundantly unclear or might be outright wrong in the initial rule book. And you only find the actual clarification of the rule if you have bought an expansion yeah. and looked in the errata in the back of that Yeah, for the base game. It's rough. And some of it's online, but like this is the sort of game where, at least for us, we get kind of into it enough that like pulling out your phone to look up a rule feels even more... Like it's pulling you out of the game than pulling out the rule book to look up the rule. You're like, okay, let me Google it and dig through the Fantasy Flight site to try mm-hmm. to find it. Um, not And again, I, I understand there's a lot going on in this yeah. game. Well, and the other thing is I, I've become more sympathetic to Fantasy Flight's editorial team after trying to write my own rule books. Yeah. Like that's not an easy task, but Arkham's was pretty rough. Truth. True that. That's the... That's the the biggest downside I really can see with Arkham. Yeah, I think robot. probably my favorite thing with Arkham is the breadth of characters you've got to go at go with. And um, even though the, the, the they don't have a lot of mechanics to them, generally, between their starting items, their starting equipment, their start, and their differing stats and special powers, they feel pretty different from one another. And you can even change how a character plays throughout the game because you have those tracks that you can adjust yeah, with your stats. Yeah, you can adjust them. how their stats work. And we... we 
um, found first we found uh, the Penny Arcade guys released some character cards for their own. It's 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 an incredibly moddable game. I, I don't know if they did this intentionally, but it was designed in such a way that it was ready for expansions. And being ready for expansions means it's also ready for house rules and mods and changes that you want to make on your own. Mm-hmm. And someone, some brilliant genius, went out and developed a tool that we've we've referenced before and linked before. I'll link it again in the show notes. It's called Strange Eons, which started out basically as just a tool to make Arkham items and character cards and ally cards. Mm-hmm. And now it's developed into a full like game develop like prototype development tool uh but we made characters for ourselves we made allies we made i don't know if we made any items we might have made a couple items i don't remember if we did or not um and and so we could play as characters that were ourselves with stats that we imagined vaguely matched us personally Mm -hmm. and hilarious pictures of sloths for each one of us and uh it's a lot of fun and like it just it's so different there's so much text there's so many cards there's so many components and so many characters that the game is different every time you play it and and a lot of them vacillate wildly wildly between like super relevant and super irrelevant like let me let me let me hit you with an example one of the expansion ends adds personal stories for every single character released up to that time and relationships between cards for between characters so now you've picked your character and you've got a personal quest that you're going to go on and you can succeed or fail and get bonuses or penalties based on that. And you've got a relationship with the character between your left and your right, uh, between your character and the characters adjacent to you, which may or may not impact the game. And sometimes those are completely re- irrelevant. They don't impact the game at all. And sometimes they're huge. They pull you in amazing directions that are yeah. very different from what you expected. Totally before. Like, different. There's one that's the best of friends that encourages those characters to move together, I think it is, and to generally be near one another. Yeah, they get bonuses for in the, if they're in the same area. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's really cool how those, how how throwing so much stuff at the board and seeing what sticks, how much actually sticks. And somewhere, as we're talking about this, Uva Eichert is just cringing. Well, yeah. Having told us about, how, what is it, a maximum of two exceptions exceptions i think i think arkham has two consistent rules (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah they those are the two exceptions exceptions to to everything else being completely insane yeah yeah these are always the same that's the exception yeah so you're still remembering two exceptions fair enough the dopamine cycle is intact (laughs) you know (laughs) so yeah we've spent hours and hours playing arkham and if you have never played it or if you have played it before and didn't like it uh you should contact us and then travel however many hundreds of miles from where you are to here to play it with us, because we'll we'll try to make you like it. We won't just we won't just uh, every person who's ever played Catan you and <laughs> and ruin your fun. Yeah, we'll have a good time. I will say this: Arkham is a game that does depend fairly significantly on number of players and nature of players. Oh yes, uh, don't play with two. Three no, is... no, no, two's okay, what, but you got don't start with two. Yeah. Because we've done two, but you got we were both controlling two characters. Yeah, the, the difficulty or doesn't scale control. down well to low right. numbers of players. So I, I would say four is probably the sweet spot in terms of difficulty, maybe. Four to five. But you want to be careful, too, at high numbers because it is a little slow at that point it in bogs. getting around the table. And if you don't have people who are invested in the game, uh, the, the ADD can set in and they might 
wander off into the sunset never to be heard from again we have attempted eight player games which i believe is the maximum that the game supports don't do it i think you could do an eight player game if you had a lot of people who knew the game and wanted to play it wanted to play it yeah those are the two things those are the things you have when to we have did yet. eight player games it was like late at night i think both times we've tried it it's been uh new year's eve yeah and people are trying to have conversations and we've got new players who don't really understand ga- the game um and they're not interested enough in learning because they're also trying to have conversations. And so for the people trying to play, it's just like, oh, my God, take your turn already before I break every bone in your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so, no, I would never have that sort of violent response. That's really, uh, you know, normal people don't behave that way. I certainly don't. Right. No, you would never no. you would never do that. He said as he, you know, polished his glass right. eye. <laughs> Ding, the stolen from Penny Arcade bell. Again, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we like Arkham a lot. Recommended. And you can probably get it cheap on eBay anymore. Since nobody else likes it. <laughs> Since nobody else buying it anymore, I don't yeah. think. Not with uh, Eldritch Horror out. So, if you have thoughts... Uh, no, wait, shoot, I don't do that part. Oh, no. If you have thoughts, or if you want to play Arkham Horror with us, the way it's meant to be played. I think it was designed to be played with us. Absolutely. Uh... You can hit us up on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. You can send us an electronic mail at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. Or you could leave a comment in the comment section at www.mildlyalarming.com or on Facebook. Nope, not. Yeah, you could leave a comment on Facebook. We have one of those. Yeah. Or on Stitcher or on iTunes, where you could also leave us five star reviews because you love us so very, very much and you want other people to know about our show. Those are the places that you could do that. Or you can just cry out to the black goat with a thousand young, see forever, and uh, die screaming in an endless pit of nightmarish madness. But at least you'll know you were the first to go and the rest of us will be following. Yeah, yeah, Shubnigiroth. Racist? I have no idea. Probably, it's Lovecraft. Yeah. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Hey ladies, you've probably seen those commercials for yogurt that aids digestion and keeps you regular. If those ads are to be believed, all any of you do is wear sweatpants, sit on verandas, and eat probiotic yogurt while you laugh. But what if you're going to a place where you know you can't poop? You know, like an airplane, or one of those foreign countries where toilets are just holes in the ground filled with centipedes. What good will your duty yogurt be then? Well, now you can eat yogurt and still go to monster truck rallies thanks to Super Claw Constipating Yogurt. Using only the finest milks from Lactose Larry's Oddball Dairy, we've concocted a yogurt that is 100% guaranteed to produce dense rock-like turds that will take literal weeks to pass. Go buck wild on all the coffee and Indian food you want, you degenerate hedonist. Super Claw Yogurt laughs at your curry. And for especially long periods where you can't make, just have two servings of Super Clog. That'll have you so backed up and bloated that people will think you're pregnant. But you're not pregnant. You've just got dangerously full bowels. Super Clog Constipating Yogurt. For those times when dropping a deuce is just not an option. Warning, do not consume more than two servings of Super Clog in a 24-hour period or you may never poop again. Do not eat Super Clog unless your bowels have been tested and can endure pressure of 100 PSI or greater. Do not eat Super Clog if you are uncomfortable with the taste of stool lingering in the back of your throat for three or more weeks. The first bowel movement after eating Super Clog may be unusually destructive. Do not make a poop in a toilet you care about after eating Super Clog. Super Clog is a registered trademark of Gunchling Gunchling.
Recently, we learned that each new British Prime Minister handwrites a set of orders for the commanders of the United Kingdom's nuclear submarines. These orders are kept sealed aboard the submarines and destroyed unread when a new Prime Minister is elected. The following is our take on what might be in these envelopes. My God, sir, is that? Yes, Lieutenant Shimmons, it is. The envelope with the Prime Minister's nuclear directions in it. Surely it's a mistake, sir. Surely, surely the message was sent in error. We've confirmed it with the rest of the nuclear fleet. Every failsafe checks out. God almighty. Our only hope is that there's some last instructions in this envelope that will let us not fire. Surely we don't have to, sir. Damn you, Simmons. We took an oath. And if the minister's orders are to fire the nukes, I'll fire them. Sorry, sir. It's, it's just... I know, Simmons. Don't you think I know? Armageddon. The end of all things. Hardly seems fair that it should fall in a boy from the cornfields of southern Iowa. Ah, sweet Jenny, if you could see me now. Sir? <clears throat> right. Well, Simmons, there's no use waiting. Tenderloin. Nuclear. Wait. What? Sir? Hold on a minute. Sir, what is it? What do the orders say? I'm... well, Simmons, I'm not sure. Aren't there orders directing us where to... to nuke, sir? Well, that's what it says on the envelope, but... Sir? Well, there's a sort of map, but it's just some mountains and trees, and a crude drawing of a village. And there's a McDonald's in the village, but nothing else is labelled. That's it? Just a doodle? No, no, there's text too, but... What's it say, sir? What's it say? It's a... it's a... a poem, I think. A poem? Yes, definitely a poem. Can I see it, sir? Damn you, Simmons, you know that's against regulations. Aye, sir. Sorry, sir. Just confused with the poem and the map, sir. Yes, well, it isn't what I expected either. Hmm. Oh, green ye avocado, upon yon bearded trush... Sir, are you having a stroke? No, that's the first line. Maybe it means we nuke... Where do avocados come from? Mexico, I think. Why the hell would we nuke Mexico? Well, wait. That doesn't work with the third line. <clears throat> Spin blithe, o' wheels, neath shag-bellied bush. Does the Prime Minister think buses have fur? Of course not, he's a Tory, not a bloody labour. Alright, but what's he mean about a shag-bellied bus? A yak? Maybe... A yak? Well, it's a poem. It might be a metaphor. And yaks have shaggy bellies, and if you put a bunch of people on them, you might call it a sort of bush. So, what? We nuke Mongolia? How's that fit with the avocados? How does any of it fit with the map? This is a complete train wreck. It certainly does seem to have gone wrong. No, that's the next line. This is a complete train wreck. I'm deeply confused. I'm annoyed. 
We're supposed to be ending the damn world here, and we're playing metaphoric tiddlywinks with some first that should be laughed out of a community writing club. The local library would be too embarrassed to let them meet in one of their spare rooms. We're supposed to be looking stoic yet troubled as we turn the switches, and we're trying to puzzle out what the hell direction we're meant to get from the phrase angry lesbian breasts. Oh, that could be San Francisco. But why would the minister have us nuking San Francisco? No idea, sir. God almighty. There's nothing else in the envelope? Not a thing. What do we do, then? I suppose we nuke Florida. What? How do you get that from shaggy bosses and avocados? I don't. I've just never liked it. And at this point, we've got to nuke something. Do we? Well, of course. You only open the envelope when you've got to nuke something. But the envelope tells you what to nuke. Is there anything in the guidebook about what to do if the envelope doesn't say? Not so much as a rhyming couplet. Well, I'm not sure that nuking Florida is the obvious choice. Could we call on one of the other submarine commanders and see what their envelope said? Expressly forbidden. So... I've got an idea. Why don't we take the first letter of each line of the poem, convert them to a set of coordinates, and nuke whatever's there? That doesn't seem right, but I've got no way to dispute it. Indeed. Mildly alarming podcast is brought to you by Stanley Crumbleton's 11th Goats. For when you've got 10 goats and need exactly one more, Stanley Crumbleton's 11th Goats.